Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with part two of this message entitled, Israel's Messiah, the Hope of the World. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. Now here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you deliver us from all other foundations. Foundations of psychology, foundations of human hollow philosophies, foundations of shifting emotional conditions. Help us to stand upon your word. Help us to stand upon your son, Jesus Christ, the rock, the fortress, our refuge, the ark. Oh God, call us to the word. That we may live in peace, in hope, in joy, in your power. And when the time for us to die comes, we may look at death with confidence. Because we rest in that promise you have made us. That you said, I give them eternal life. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Have mercy, O God, upon us. Speak to us from your word. Deliver us from all distractions. Give us mental ability to focus upon your scripture. We pray in the name of Christ, who is the word. Amen. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I was reading one of his sermons, and he, he said he feels sad when the Sabbath is over. Now, the Sabbath is not yet over. Sabbath, the Lord's day, is the day of rest, the day of great joy, day of great feasting, day when God's word is declared, the day when we can hear and believe it and receive comfort of the scriptures. He was the prince of preachers in the 19th century. I hope you would have the same attitude. The Lord's day is the day of joy, great joy. I hope you will turn to the Bible and look at verse 9 of Isaiah. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters covers the sea. It is speaking about a day when... There shall be no other philosophies, no other religions, no other cults, nothing in the whole world. No one will dare to believe or proclaim anything that is false. Isn't that wonderful? Today, of course, there are religions many, philosophies many, psychologists many. But there is coming a day. And only the word of the Lord shall fill the whole earth as waters cover the sea. That means in great abundance. 
You think Mohammedanism will be preached on that day? What about Hinduism? What about Moonism? What about Mormonism? What about Jehovah's Witnesses? Nothing. No one will dare to speak or believe in anything other than the knowledge of the Lord. Now, when you study the Bible, the entire word and deed of God recorded in the scriptures had one purpose. That the people of God may know that he is Lord. And what is the other purpose? That the whole world may know that he alone is God. And so finally it is coming to fulfillment in this chapter 11 and verse 9. Isaiah foresees a time when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the true God. The triune God. Israel's Messiah, the hope of the world. And we, last time we considered the person and the powers of Israel's Messiah. Who comes out of the stump of Jesse, the Davidic dynasty, which was completely cut down in 586 BC, as you know. This shoot, this fruitful branch, was Jesus Christ, whose birth was announced by angel Gabriel to Virgin Mary. He's the God man. The Lord, God, will give him the throne of his father, David. And will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. He is the king who governs in righteousness, this chapter tells us. No king, no government, nobody ever done that in the history of the universe. All justice that is meted out in this world had deficiencies. It was not perfect justice. You think O.J. Simpson's case (laughs) comes to mind? And in this country, the powerful gets away with a lot of it. And what's the name of this actress who stole? You think she's going to go to prison? No. The poor person from the inner city, he goes to prison. It is always that way. But he is the king who governs in righteousness. He is the king whose rule will bring lasting peace in the world. He is the king whose rule will be universal. He is not only the one who reigns over the house of Jacob, but he will be reigning over the entire earth. The Bible says he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And we found out this king lives and rules by the powers of the Holy Spirit. That gives us some idea that we should live by the power of the Holy Spirit. A Christian is not to live by his own power. He is to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit came upon him without measure. Dwelt upon him permanently. Spirit of wisdom. Spirit who gave him wisdom. We learned. Spirit of understanding. Counsel. Might. Knowledge. 
spirit that gave him the fear of the Lord. And we studied that he delights totally in reverential submission to the will of his father. That which gave him perfect happiness was to submit to the will of God. Finally, God's perfect will will be accomplished in this Messiah. We want to consider the two points, two things. The perfect rule of this Messiah and the perfect peace that this rule of the Messiah will bring about in this world. The perfect rule of the Messiah. The rule of the Lord Jesus Christ involves two periods. His present reign is invisible to the world. His present reign at the right hand of God. After his incarnation, death and resurrection, we are told he ascended into the heavens. He is seated on the right hand of God, the Father. He is reigning and he is ruling. But when we study the scripture, we discover there is another period of his reign. That is his future reign concerning which Isaiah is speaking in this chapter especially. It will no longer be invisible to the world. It will be what? Visible to the world. It will be felt by the world. Experienced by the world. And this will happen after his second coming. Now it is known as the millennium. He will rule a thousand years over Israel and over the nations. And he will rule from his capital, Jerusalem. Now this visible felt rule of Jesus Christ is taught in several places in the scriptures. And if you read uh, Dr. Grudem and he says that the, the Bible speaks about a time of greater blessing, greater peace, greater than presently experienced, but less than the peace and the blessing of the eternal state. If this present age can be marked by one line, millennium can be marked by two lines, and the eternal state can be marked by what? Three lines in terms of the degrees of peace and blessing. If you are a student of prophecy, you will face this reality, that the Bible speaks about a time of greater blessing than we are now experiencing. When you listen to the scripture read this morning, especially Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 9, it (laughs) blew your mind. That a little kid will play with viper. <laughs> a little kid will put his finger into the mouth of cobra. And suffers what? No harm. A period when enmity, hostility is all taken away. So, if you are interested, I would like you to 
Uh, read Isaiah 2, Isaiah 4, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 65, Psalm 72, Psalm 2, Psalm 96, Psalm 97, Psalm 99, Zechariah 14, the whole chapter, Revelation 20, 1 through 6, and so on. Now, that's not what my seminary believes because <laughs> they don't believe a lot of things. <laughs> but all churches in this city and the vast majority of people believe, evangelicals believe, in a millennial reign. So let's look at this, the perfect rule. And the perfect rule is based on the character of the Messiah. You see, you found out from Clinton, President Clinton, now you learned one thing. What is it? Character matters in governing. And so you look at this uh, President Bush, at least in that regard. He is a man of honor and respect. Character matters. And you look at your pastor. If you are going to a church, you find out what is the pastor. And he watch, find out what is character. Character matters. And if you are a father, uh, character matters. Uh, any ruling person, character matters. So here we are told about the character of the Messiah. In verse 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will... He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. In other words, when you look at this Jesus Christ, you will see that he is ready for action. That's why we put belt on. Until you put belt on, you are not ready for work. What is his belt? Righteousness and what? Faithfulness. This means he is ready to give it. This Messiah is righteous. He is righteousness. That is, his character and conduct will be in perfect conformity to the divine standard of the will of God. He would never deviate from the divine will. No one could convict him of sin. Turn with me to the 72nd Psalm and uh, let's read and when you read the psalm, you notice right away, it's a psalm of Solomon, but it is not fulfilled in the reign of Solomon. It is still looking forward to the reign of the Messiah. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness. You are afflicted once with justice. 
The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. I don't think that is fulfilled (laughs) in the reign of Solomon. This is speaking about the rule at the time of Messiah. To rule with perfect justice. Edward J. Young said, a professor at Westminster, to, to rule with perfect justice, the ruler must have what? Perfect knowledge of the issue. That's why there cannot be any perfect justice in this world until the Messiah comes. Because no judge knows perfectly issues. The Messiah will know. He will have perfect knowledge, therefore he will judge with perfect equity. No one can fool him. No one can fool him. No one can bribe him. With him there is no respect of persons. His spiritual endowment qualifies him to be the perfect judge. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. Chapter 16, remember that Samuel was almost fooled by appearance of the older sons of Jesse. And he was about to anoint as king the wrong person. See, we have a rule here, pastor will not accept any money (laughs) if you give it to me. And all monies given to me will be what? Returned. Why is that? Because I don't want to be influenced by money. Some will give so much, some will give that much. No. So if you give in an envelope and identify yourself, and it will all come back to you. I want to have the freedom to minister without what? Any kind of bias. So look at First uh, Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. I hope you will take into account when you are trying to find a husband or a wife. But we are a people who are stuck with what? Appearance. This is the result of uh, being in a fallen world. Being in a fallen world as well as the result of our, our, our souls being sinners. We are impressed by physicality. We are impressed by clothes and jewelries. We are impressed by the face cut. We are impressed by height. We are impressed by no height. We are impressed always. We are impressed by weight. We are impressed by the color of the hair. We are impressed by the color of the eyes. I can save you from a lot of trouble if you listen to me. You see, we need to view the world and reality the way God views the world and reality. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his what? Come on. His height. Apparently he was very high. So it is very tall. I said, I can prove from the scripture, people who were recorded to be very tall, always met with disastrous situations. Is that true? I can give you a lot of... uh, (laughs) Now... 
But notice, for I have rejected him. And now comes the principle. What is it? For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Learn that. He desires truth in the inmost part. Or turn with me to John's Gospel, where the Lord Jesus himself uh, gives us this principle. 7, John 7 and verse 24. The the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, they were judging based on appearance. They judged Jesus Christ himself. They crucified him. But here, verse 24 of John 7, stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgment. So you know right there that when you judge by what? Appearance, you are making what? False judgment. And So the Messiah will not judge by appearance. He will have perfect knowledge. Knowledge that goes deep into the recesses of our human heart. In John chapter 2 verse 25, we are told that Jesus Christ knew what was in man. You see, he knows what you are thinking. That's why we cannot fool him. That's why he's a perfect judge. In Acts chapter 1 verse 24, uh, St. Peter prays, You know everyone's heart. And Greek term is cardiognostis. One who knows the heart. There is a divine x-ray quality to this Messiah. He goes into us and sees us, sees our pretense, our hypocrisy, our lie, our arrogance, our pride, our make-believe, our falsehood, as well as the purity of our heart. Or turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. There is a description of the resurrected Christ, the glorified Messiah. We don't want to read the whole description But look at verse 14. His head and hair were like white, like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like what? Blazing fire. You see, your father's eyes are not like blazing fire. Your teachers are not like blazing fire. Your pastors, so, so you may want to lie. And they will believe it. They don't have this ability of the Messiah. Now, have you not lied? That the survey says the religious people lie and cheat more than public school students. Have you lied to your mother, lied to your pa- father, lied to your pastor, lied to your <laughs> teacher? <laughs> but here, his eyes are like blazing fire. Or well, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. And uh, verse, uh, let me read from verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does 
the will of my father who is in heaven. And there's going to come, when he comes again, people who never did God's will will come to him and lie to him and say, we have been doing your will, therefore uh, grant our submission to the kingdom of God. And verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you workers of iniquity. Nobody can fool him. He is not going to believe our lies and pretension, our own defense. He has perfect knowledge. Therefore, he will judge with justice. And the scripture says in Isaiah 14, the needy and the poor will get justice from him. Now you ask the question, who are the needy and the poor in the Old Testament understanding of that term? The wicked and powerful oppressed these poor and needy. Who are the poor and needy? Let me tell you. The poor and needy are those who trusted in God. They will receive justice that day from him who gave us this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he said about the poor and the needy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are the poor. And he's going to come again to meet out justice for them. As well as meet out justice for the wicked. And you read about that in verse 4. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. So he is righteous. He has perfect knowledge to do the work of governing. But let me tell you something else. He is also faithful. Verse 5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. In the book of Revelation, we are introduced to Jesus Christ. And we are told that Jesus Christ is faithful witness. He is called faithful and true. In Revelation 3 verse 14, Revelation 19. Verse 11. Faithfulness is reliability. Faithfulness actually means truthfulness. Faithfulness is the manifestation of the character of a person who is true. You see, faithfulness, this constancy, this reliability... This unchangingness is the manifestation of a person's true to fullness, that he is true. He is true. And you can count on his word. In other words, Messiah can be trusted. He is reliable, he is unchanging, he promises, he promises and he keeps his promises. Though that involved death. On the cross. You can count on him. 
He threatens and his threat comes true. He is immutable, he is consistent, he cannot lie. He opposes all who speaks lies. He is the opposite of Satan who is described as the father of all lies. And when your child lies and when you lie, you are manifesting not the character of Jesus Christ, but the character of the devil. But isn't it wonderful he is faithful? We are told that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We are told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Yeah, one day your wife may have cancer and, and if you are not true, you are going to leave that wife. And the first diagnosis of it is, all right, goodbye. But he doesn't do that. Because he is truth. I am the way, the truth and the life. Truth means faithfulness. And also he has the weapon to deal with his rule and government. What do you think his weapon is? So we have to find out this king of kings and lord of lords. What is the weapon he has? To deal with the arrogance of the world. Well, we have given a description of it. Right here in Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 4. B. Take a look at that. He doesn't need any weapon. He is the weapon. He does it all by fiat. By decree. By his will and by his word. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. He does not need other military might. His decree is the all-powerful weapon to save and destroy. He is the word, in the beginning was the word. And in Genesis 1 and verse 3, we hear about the creation of this entire cosmos. How did he do it, you see? By his word, by fiat, by decree. God said, let there be light, and what? There was light. In Psalm 33 and verse 6, we read, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. And in this prophecy of Isaiah chapter 55, we read the word that goes out of his mouth shall never return to him void. In other words, it is always effectual in its saving purpose as well as in its judging purpose. Let's turn to the book of Revelation and turn to chapter 1. And verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars. And some would say that stars means ministers of the church. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. What is that? The word. Sharp double-edged sword. We'll turn to chapter 19 of Revelation. 
And verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And then John cites from chapter 2 of Psalm 2 verse 9, he will rule them with an iron scepter. In other words, there is an interpretation, the iron scepter is the the very word of God. And uh, Revelation 19 verse uh, 21 The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Be careful with this one. He alone is the almighty, the mighty God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. He tells us how he will deal with the Antichrist. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. By his decree, by his word, by his will. He needs no military might to help him. Do you think he can handle you? Do you think he can handle nations and superpowers of the world? The one who created the universe by his word and maintains it by his word. The poor and needy will receive justice from the Messiah. But the wicked, his enemies will be destroyed by his weapon. Which is the very word of God, the very will of God. Move on to the second point. The perfect peace that his government will bring about. The Messiah is introduced in chapter 9 as the Prince of Peace. Now the peace of his reign is not based on dialogue or negotiation. It will not be based on round table conference. Some idiots believe that will do it. See, they cannot understand that war is necessary in a fallen world to put down people who are crazy. And they will sit around and say, let's talk. I'm saying the peace that will be brought about by the Prince of Peace is not going to be based on some kind of talk and negotiations and dialogue. It will be based on war and conquest. By this spirit-empowered Messiah. It is the government of the Messiah that brings about peace. Isaiah prophesied already in chapter 9. Of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Now this reign of peace has two stages as I already said. The present reign of the Messiah who is seated on the right hand of God. He is reigning and he is ruling. Particularly and especially us, who have submitted and surrendered to him. If he died for us, he has the authority to rule over us. And he is ruling over us. This reign of peace was brought about by the Messiah's death on the cross in behalf of his people. Wages of sin is death. 
Christ died for our sins. Let's read the scripture that will tell us something about this peace presently enjoyed by us. Colossians chapter 2. Let me read to you from verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, how did he do it? Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that is the law that was against us and that stood opposed to us, sin is transgression of the law. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, his death on the cross was a war that he waged and he won. He conquered all his enemies. By his death, he destroyed death. He defeated all enemies. And brought about peace. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And let me read it to you if you are interested in finding the basis of this present peace. That we enjoy in this present reign of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 beginning with verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Who has made the two one and has destroyed barrier, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. All hostility is dealt with by the cross on the cross. He came and preached what? Peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see, there is a war waged by Christ through his death on the cross, conquered enemies, and he comes now and declares to you peace. Peace. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Having been justified by faith in this Messiah, we have peace with God. The enmity and the wrath of God against us due to our sin against him has been dealt with. By God the Father in the death of his son, the Messiah. Now he is ruling and he is reigning And he is in the business of giving us peace to all who surrender to this Jesus Christ. He is still ruling. He said there is a present reign of Christ and he and this rule brings about peace to you provided what? In saving faith you completely surrender to him. That's the term of peace that he is proclaiming to us. Because by faith, they are declared righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Ours was the condemnation. 
But now in Christ, ours is God's justification. Just as if we never sinned. And we have access to God, the Father. He has become to us Yahweh Tzitkenu. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah 23 and verse 6. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That we might become what? The righteousness of God. The cross of Christ has become a banner. Look at this. Verse 10 of Isaiah 11. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's The nations will rally to him. Verse 12. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. Interesting. Jesus Christ is likened to a banner that is raised up. And it is the rallying point. Certain people will seek and run to this unifying standard. And be saved. And not only Jewish people, but we are told nations will seek him. Remember what Jesus said, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, what? Will draw all men unto me. And that's happening right now. Because he was lifted up on the cross when Christ died. Jesus Christ is the antitype of that brazen serpent lifted up by Moses in the desert. Remember that? So every dying, snake-bitten person who looked to it was healed. And experience peace. Even so everyone who looked to the crucified Christ. Will be saved and experience God's benediction of peace. For the curse due to sin has been dealt with by the Messiah. Who redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming curse for us by his death on the cross. He destroyed enmity and brought about unity. So the banner is lifted up. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And people from the nations are coming to him. He destroyed all that prevented our salvation. Nations are even now rallying to him as they hear the gospel preaching. And the Jews are also rallying to him, trusting in their Messiah. But there is coming a reign of Christ. As I already said, a visible reign of Christ on this earth. At his second coming. When this text tells us. When greater number of the Jews and Gentiles. Will rally to the king of kings. Who will rule this world from Jerusalem. And we are told in this text. A second time. He will gather Israel. Not just from Egypt. From, but, but from east and west. And north and south. From all over the world. He will gather them. And all obstacles will be dealt with. We are told Euphrates will be dried up. A highway will be made by this Christ. There is going to be changes in this world. Brought about when he comes and rules. Jews and Gentiles will come to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord. We read that in chapter 2. Think about it. It's going to happen. Nations are going to come. They will abandon Mormonism and, and Mohammedanism and Hinduism and uh, Roshikrushanism and, and everything else. And they will come all the way to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord. 
and then there shall be great peace. The existing enmity will, enmity will be gone, not only from people, but also from animals. Carnivorous will become herbivorous. Lion, lamb, wolf, leopard, cow will all lie down and eat straw. A child will play with viper without harm. Why this is so? Why such absence of hostility? But why such unity? Read verse 9. The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth like waters cover the sea. That's why I said, may God help us to center on God's word rather than stupid philosophies, psychologies, and shifting emotional nonsense. Because peace is the result of the knowledge of God welling up within us. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Finally, the whole world will know Jesus Christ. The whole world will know Jesus Christ. Nothing else will be proclaimed. Nothing else will be believed. Nothing else will be promulgated. All people of the earth will submit to the king of kings and lord of lords. Some out of sheer fear. And some out of love for him. Today the Messiah of Israel is your Messiah also. There is no other Messiah. We are told God has given him the throne of David. His kingdom will never end. He now rules over all people who will believe and surrender and submit to him. For this king of kings is also the savior. Today in the town of David a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He alone is the one who is lifted up on the cross for you. Nobody else. He draws to himself his people. And they will come to him. He draws. They come. Have you, have you come to him? Have you been drawn by him? Have you trusted in him? Have you surrendered to this Messiah Savior? Have you known him? Have you received from him alone everlasting peace of his salvation? This Messiah of Israel, branched from the stump of Jesse, is the hope of the world. No one else. He's coming again. To establish millennium in this earth. To, to give justice to the poor and needy. And to slay the wicked. By the word of his mouth. May God help you. Today. To come under his rule. To surrender to him. And receive peace. Of the increase of his government and peace. There is no end. My question is, did he start his government in your life? Is that government increasing? Then you will have what? Increased peace. It's the way it is. Heavenly Father, we pray. Draw your people to yourself. May they turn to you and be saved. May they look to you and be saved. May they trust in you and be saved. The one who died for us on the cross. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew 